You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Please be seated. Um, we kind of ran out of sheets, so Chris has run off some more. So if any of the boys and girls didn't get one, you like one, you, just, you can come and get one from, from me if anyone needs one. All right, and if you don't, and if any of the adults need one as well, no. Let's turn to Ephesians. They're there anyway, if anyone needs one. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 3 uh, to verse 6, and we'll see how we go if we need to read any more. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is, I should have said, on page 1173 of the Pew Bible. Now, I hope... uh, Everyone had a great Christmas, boys and girls as well. You had a great Christmas. And if you were to list the things that you got, I saw someone today had given a list of things and their favorite thing was at the top and their least favorite was at the bottom. I feel that that's a bad thing to do for the person who gave you your least favorite might take it personally. Um, My favorite thing is this jumper, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering. When we think about what God has given us, I think it's important that uh, we do reflect upon that. As we come towards the end of the year, this is the last Sunday of the year, and uh, we'll, have, we'll celebrate it as we always do with communion this evening. But uh, it's good for us to stop and think what God has done, to count our blessings. Um, some of you, there are some people for whom this Christmas was just a time of great joy. And there are other people for whom it's... It's not been easy. It's been very difficult. Uh, Some people think that Christmas is the most stressful time of year. And others have a much more chilled and uh, relaxed approach. Usually not the person who's doing the cooking. But it is good for us to review. And that's what I want to do. I want us to think about what's happened in our lives over this past year. I want each of you to think about that. And the way we view it is so often through our culture, through class, through our circumstances. Um, I happened to be reading something this week that I thought this was, this is for real. I thought it was a joke, but this is actually for real. It was a tweet from the World Economic Forum. I'm just asking, are you a successful person? And this tweet listed or put a link to a list the 14 things that successful people do before breakfast. Me, it's get out of bed and, and brush my teeth, you know, read and pray. But apparently, uh, these are the 14 things. Well, some of them, I'm not going to give you them all. 
You get up with the lark, first of all. You get up really early. You exercise furiously. You spend time on a personal passion project, such as writing a novel or painting. You connect with your spouse. You make your beds, because apparently this is correlated with increased productivity. So boys and girls, you want to get on well at school, make your bed, because that will help you. Get on better at school, apparently, according to this. It says in The Economist, so it must be right. Um, You network over coffee. You spend quality time with the family. You meditate to clear your mind. And you still find time to do an important business project. And that was for serious, for real. Apparently, Bob Iger of Disney gets up at 4.30. David Cush, the CEO of Virgin America, is on his exercise bike at 4.15 a.m., Tim Cook of Apple is at the gym at 5 o'clock. Several high-power execs are now taking drugs such as uh, modafinil and Ritalin, which aid concentration. Successful people. You see, that's what you're like. You're power-dressed and you're on your power bike at 4.30 in the morning and you're doing all these wonderful things, writing novels and running companies. And if you're a Christian as well, you're doing everything in the... It's rubbish. You've got to know that that's rubbish. One man said about this, no institution can possibly survive if it needs geniuses or supermen to manage it. It must be organized in such a way as to get along under a leadership of average human beings. Well, thank the Lord that he's given us his church, which, believe you me, is led by average human beings. Uh, That's our aim, at least, is to be average. Average but greatly blessed. So we're going to look at these blessings that God has given us. Paul wrote this letter from prison, and he's writing uh, in circumstances which are not great from him. He wrote this letter, though, to encourage Christians, and it's kind of a call to worship and a prayer report, and I think it's very appropriate for us at the end of the year. So, what are our reasons to be thankful? Well, first of all, it depends where you look. We are to look at God's great purpose. This first few verses, in fact, right up to verse 14, is just one sentence from Paul. And all of it, verses 3 to 14, is a celebration of God's eternal purpose, God's eternal plan. And here is the absolute key to happiness and the absolute key to joy. And it's so counterintuitive that you and I have to keep repeating it to ourselves. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your own circumstances. I mean, even if things are going really well just now, your children are all perfectly behaved, you've just got a job promotion, You've written that novel before breakfast. You've painted that wonderful painting. You've done all these things. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Who knows which of your friends or you could be diagnosed with cancer? Who knows what disaster waits just around the corner? How many people are driving their car just before an accident, singing along quite happy, and then disaster hits them? We do not know. We don't know. And it may be that some of us as well, we're sitting here and we say, count your blessings? You're kidding. You should see the year that I've had, the pain that that I've had to suffer, and there's no end to it. 
Well, we need to stop looking at ourselves. We need to look to the majesty and love of God revealed in his unfolding plan and the privilege that we have in sharing in that. The great theme of Ephesians, because it's the great theme of Colossians as well, it's Paul's great theme of this big thing of cosmic reconciliation. And all that that just simply means is this. God created the world. He created the universe. But because of sin, there's disharmony, there's pollution, there's disease, there's death, there's decay, there's war, there's enmity, there's cancer, there's all these other things. And Paul says to us, yes, but he is going to bring all things to unity in heaven and on earth under Christ. The renewal of creation, the reunification of creation. Things are out of sync. I am, those of you who use your computers a lot, I have something called Evernote and have various ways of syncing different computers. And that's great when one of them breaks down as it did this week because you just go onto another one and everything's synced onto that one. Except if it's out of sync, it's disconnected and there's no harmony and it just gets all very, very confusing. We, as we look at what God has done over the past year, We need, first of all, to look at God. Secondly, we need to look at his people. And that brings out the worst in us sometimes. There's a tendency to be negative about others. This letter, Ephesians, challenges a pietistic individualism, which goes, don't look at the church, look at Christ. But Paul expects to see Christ and God's unifying purpose being displayed in the church. What Mark was saying there about how to be the people of God. What do people in Mangus Hill see if they just wander into Grace Church? God's unifying purpose? God's glory? What do they see if they wander into the church here or whichever church that you are from? What are they made aware of? Is there something of the beauty of Christ? Or are we a church? Are we a people who are prone to an inward looking, introspection, and a complaining and bitter spirit? We are to build bridges and not minefields. We need Ephesians, especially Ephesians. John Stott's commentary on it calls it God's new community. Ephesians, we need to demonstrate in the culture today what it is like to be a real community of God's people whose life and witness together bring a a testimony to the unity that Christ brings. So we look at Christ, we look at his people, and then we recognize that we have been given every spiritual blessing, verse 3 says, in Christ. It's begun in Christ and it's going to be finished by Christ And it's experienced by those of us who are in Christ just now. What are these blessings? Well, if we count our blessings over Christmas, um, most of us have been in shelter and warmth. Most of us have had adequate food, more than adequate food. Um, And most of it's been very good food. I did read an article. Sorry, I, I don't know where I picked these things up. They're really weird. I read an article that seriously discussed whether Brussels sprouts were a result of the fall or whether they were originally created. I'm sorry, I 
That's, uh, I like Brussels sprouts, so I think they were originally created. But somebody was arguing that they were a result of the fall. Uh, there was some kind of weed. They're not. They're, they're gorgeous. Brussels sprouts. But we've been eating and drinking, and there's warmth. And that's lovely. You know that, that storm? Uh, and there's another one coming, by the way. Our friends from Australia here, I told them when I picked them up from the station that the weather's always like this in Dundee, but uh, you're going back today, so you'll never know different. But there is another storm coming. It's lovely that feeling you have. I actually think, especially if you're from an island, and I don't wish to be rude if you're from Orkney or Lewis or Shetland, but it's kind of windswept and bleak and dreary at times, and there's this howling gale. But what a tremendous feeling to be sitting in a nice warm house with a howling gale and chucking it down rain outside. It's just lovely to have that blessing of warmth. And we remember that. We remember people who don't have that at this uh, time of year, especially. But we have these great blessings, so many of them. But it's the spiritual blessings that matter the most. And I wonder how many of us gave thanks for our Christmas presents and gave thanks for the food. I hope we did. But we forget to give thanks for forgiveness for the spirit, for peace, for love, for freedom, for light, for righteousness, for all the the different words that are used that are the gifts that we receive through Jesus Christ. It's in Christ, these tremendous blessings. See, some of you are incredibly conscious of your own sin. You're also incredibly conscious of other people's sin and the consequences of it. It's not necessarily a bad way to be. It's worse not to be conscious of sin and to think it doesn't really affect you. It's not important. But I'll tell you where it goes wrong. Where it goes wrong is when you stop at just being conscious of your own sin and you're not aware of what Christ has done for you to deal with that sin. Paul here talks and it's I'm being very peripheral in this. In one level, he talks about being in Christ, which is a very difficult and yet simple expression. It does mean to belong to Jesus, but it goes beyond that. And for me, this is the, the, the thing that I can get my head around almost more than anything else, but it is the most wonderful thing. It means to have a relationship with Jesus such that his life is in mine and my life is in his. It means belonging, believing, and being. People say that Christmas is about family. And that's fine if you're at home with your family or your extended family. It's great. It's wonderful. It's a good time to meet with your family. But what about people who say, well, wait a minute. I don't, I, I'm on my own. I don't have family. My family are far away. I feel all alone. When you come to know Jesus Christ, when you come to be in Christ, then you belong, and you belong in a way that is far deeper than any human family. You belong to the church of God, you belong to the bride of Christ, and you belong to Christ. Sometimes you might... um, if you were at home with a family and say you've got a few kids or whatever and, and you're, you're looking, your children are growing up and there's, sometimes there's enormous stress at home because you're, just, you're glad to have them home but you're also glad when they go and you get some peace and quiet. That's the reality of a fallen, sinful world. 
But sometimes there are moments that you just kind of look out and you go, I'm so thankful. They are mine and I'm theirs. Imagine that picture. You might, there are, I know that there are people who say, well, that's not fair because that's not my experience. My family's all ripped up all over the place. But here's a picture of being in Christ, which has Jesus, if you like, sitting at the head of the table, as we remember at communion, saying, they're mine. These people are mine, and I am theirs. It's that family meal that we share and we have. And our response to that is to praise God. Sometimes we make a mistake, I think, by saying, well, we're going to stand up and praise God, and then as we praise him, hopefully we'll get in the mood for it. But I think praise to God comes from realizing who he is and what he has done for us. Calvin says about this, we surely must be extremely unthankful if we scurry to and fro like people who are never at rest or contented. You've had that massive Christmas meal and you're sitting, we're, we're in the privileged position of having a real fire. You're sitting at the real fire and you have a glass of your favorite drink or whatever and you don't even need to watch TV. And you're just sitting there and there's that feeling of contentment and satisfaction. But there are people who are not like that. Because they've constantly got to be tidying, constantly got to be going on doing something else, constantly got to be going back and checking the email, constantly got to be doing ministry. And Calvin is right. We surely must be extremely unthankful if we scurry to and fro like people who are never at rest or contented. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me, says Psalm 116. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord's. Our response to what Christ has done for us is worship. And to just see these blessings, the Trinitarian blessings that come. He, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has given us them. I just want to say again as we worship him, it is very important for us to think of the triune God. One of the puzzling things for me just now is there are a number of evangelical Christians who are saying, well, listen, Christians and Muslims, we basically worship the same God, but we worship in a different way. We don't. We worship a Trinitarian God. And why is that important? In the Islamic faith, that's blasphemy. But why is that important? It's important because God is love. God can only be love if he can love within himself. God the Father loves the Son, Son loves the Spirit, loves the Father, and so on. There's this Trinitarian relationship of love. And our blessings come from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father blesses us, the Father chooses us, chooses us. the Father bestows on us his grace. Every blessing is in Christ, verses 3 and 4. In fact, in this one sentence, Jesus Christ is mentioned 14 times. There's a preacher called Ernest Keevan who was preaching about this, and he said there's a small brick called perseverance. It goes inside a larger brick called sanctification, then another called adoption, and then another called justification, then into another brick and another brick, and, and finally in the large brick called Christ. And a wee boy put his hand up and said to Kevin, please, sir, it's all in Christ. And that's it. It's all in Christ. There isn't 
If we receive Jesus Christ, we receive absolutely everything with him. And it's the blessing of the Spirit as well. Spiritual blessings, meaning coming from the Holy Spirit. God's law is written in our hearts by the Spirit. There's a personal knowledge of God. There's a forgiveness of sins. Why are you a Christian? Not because you're a good person. Not because you are of your money. Not because of your class. Not because of your morality. But only because God the Holy Spirit worked in your life. And that for me, as I think back on this past year, I think of people who this time last year were not believers, and this year there are believers. And they are believers, not because of the brilliance of this church or because of the brilliance of that minister or the greatness of this book. They are believers purely and simply because the Holy Spirit worked in their lives using all the different means. But he worked. And that's what gives me great hope for 2015. I long for the day when I hear rumors of something going on in Mingus Hill, where people are queuing up to get into the community center. Why? Because there are friends and neighbors who've been converted by the Holy Spirit, whose lives have been so changed that people are going, first of all, they're nuts, and then secondly, I want to be nuts like them. Because look at the difference it's made to their lives. God has blessed us in the church here so that pretty well every Sunday we have to use the balcony. Um, even for the two of you who are up there just now. It's great that we have, to, we, we have to do that. You know, there's a danger. There's a danger that people go, oh, isn't that wonderful? We've got a full church. No, it's not. It's not wonderful. Because within 15 minutes walk of this church live 15,000 people. It's not wonderful in that sense. We want many more people to come and to know the Lord. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms, a phrase that's used five times in Ephesians. And nowhere else in Paul's letters. It doesn't mean up in the sky. But it means the unseen world of spiritual reality. The material blessings that we have received, we are to be thankful for. But let us never forget the spiritual blessings that we have received. But there's one in particular that I can't ignore because not only have we read it and sung it. But in the providence of God, Mark read the Uh, strongest passage on this in the whole Bible, on the whole question of election or predestination. Why is it that some people receive these blessings and others do not? Well, we are told in verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We've been looking here the past couple of weeks at the star of Bethlehem and one of the things that we've noticed is how God, if, if it is, as Colin Nicol argues, a comet or even a star, that God must have planned the trajectories of the stars and the planets from a long, long time ago. And we were seeing how wonderful that actually is, that that is what happened. Well, the mind-blowing thing here is, if you are a Christian... It is because before the world came into being, God planned for you to be a Christian. God had a purpose, a purpose to be fulfilled through his son. He determined to make us who did not yet exist his children through the redeeming work of Christ, which had not yet happened. 
Now, that raises all kinds of questions. And if it doesn't, then you're half asleep. And if it doesn't cause you some concerns, there are problems, I think, with how you're thinking. But this is not meant to be a theological argument. This is meant to be comfort for you. And just let me explain why that is. He chose us to be holy and blameless. That's the first thing. It means we were unholy and blameworthy, but God changed us. There are people who think, if only I can become holy, then God will accept me. But God chose us when we were unholy. So that means this. It means there isn't a single person here who is able to say, wait a minute, I am so bad that God could not change me. That cannot be true. That goes against the sovereignty of God. Some people will say, yeah, yeah, but I agree with that, but didn't I choose God? Some of us, you remember the children's chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. You know the Calvinist version, I've been elected to follow Jesus. Well, both are true. We do choose to follow Jesus Christ. But as Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you to go and bear fruit. We choose him because he first chose us. Ah, someone says, but didn't he choose me because he knew that I would choose him? But if that's the case, then the basis of salvation is fundamentally not God, but yourself. What you're really saying is that God chooses people the way that we choose people. And this is where the problem comes in. Because we say, I want her, and I want him, and I want them uh, on my team. Because I like them. Or you might say, like you choose a partner in life. I like them. So I want them. And we think that God chooses on that basis. But that's not what he does. But say some people say, well, doesn't that mean that God does not treat everyone alike? Well, we know that anyway. We know in one sense that he does, and in another sense, he doesn't. Why do you and I believe if we believe? Is it because we're better than other people? Why does God not give out his grace to everyone? Perhaps he does to some degree, but why not this particular grace? Paul argues that God is glorified when he leaves some people who choose to go their own way. And he leaves them to go on in their own way. That is the amazing thing. That God's not saying, on the one hand, right, you lot, you're going there, and you lot, you're going there. It's the fact that all humanity is lost and God is choosing to save people out of that lostness. This is something that God has revealed, not something that's invented by human beings. You read it. Throughout the Bible, 1 Peter, Exodus, Romans, the Gospels, Calvin says this, although we cannot conceive either by argument or reason how God has elected us before the creation of the world, yet we know it by his declaring it to us and experience vouches for it sufficiently when we are enlightened in the faith. See, I take great hope in this, and I'll tell you why I take great hope in this and why it encourages me rather than depresses me in terms of evangelism and outreach. Because if we hold to a position which says, well, everyone has the equal opportunity and ability and so on to decide to choose and follow God, what we're really saying is, those of us who are Christians, it's because we made the right choice. And those of you who didn't, it's because you didn't. We are better than you. But I'll speak for myself, not for other people. I am no better than anybody else. I can look around and I can see what God has done in my life and in my family and I'm just so immensely grateful for that. And I cannot for one second think 
do you know I deserve this? I'm one of these superpower executive preachers who gets up at four in the morning, has a two-hour prayer meeting, a two-hour gym thing, and, you know, writes a book and does pastoral phone calls and looks after my family and hoovers uh, all in the space of one hour. Yeah, right. No, I'm not that person. I am an average person. And we are all, in, in one sense, we're just all messed up human beings in different ways. And the most mind-boggling thing, the hardest thing of all, both for our pride and, and I think, our loneliness and our heartbrokenness to overcome and to grasp is just simply to realize that God loves us because he loves us. How many of your children will actually say to you, wouldn't it be heartbroken if they said, but mom, why do you love me? Dad, why do you love me? I'm not lovable. Because... I'm your mother. That's why I love you. God chose us. And for me, the great hope in all of that is if I see someone sitting at the bottom of the Perth Road outside the DCA and they're just, they just seem to be in such a mess begging, how do I know that God's not chosen them? How dare we in the church kind of say, we want these kind of people and that kind of people. God chose the weak things of this world and the lowly things of this world. The irony is, in order to defend human freedom sometimes, we've turned the church into something that excludes people. In order to include people, we exclude people. But those of us who are proclaiming the gospel and living, how do I know that God hasn't chosen my Muslim neighbors? I don't know that. How do I know that he hasn't chosen loads of people, people I meet all the time? I believe absolutely that God's mercy is great and that there will be a number in heaven far too great for any human being to count. And that's why it's wonderful to know that God is still at work in this world today. It's a ground for humility as well, not boasting. What could we have deserved before the world even began? God did not choose us because we are worthy of merit. If you're the kind of person who's, who's going, well, I'm just a scumbag and I'm this, and you really mean it, and you really feel it, and someone can come up to you and they can put their arm around you and say, no, no, you're really nice, you're really wonderful, you're never going to be convinced by them because you know that that's not true. I just want to ask you something. Does your scumbagness include arrogance? Does it include you saying to God, yeah, but you don't really know God, you don't really know how bad I am? Yeah, he does. He absolutely does. He knows what we have done. He knows our hearts. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. And yet still, he chooses us. We go, why? And that's the most mind-blowing, amazing thing of all, that you are a Christian because of what God has done. In fact, verse 6, he uses this phrase of, uh, about adoption to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us through his blood. He adopts us. In love, he predestines for adoption to sonship. Adoption was actually unknown in Hebrew law. In Roman law, adopted children had the same rights as natural children. If you were a rich person and you had no heirs, for example, you would adopt someone. John 1.12 tells us this, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We have God as our Father. 
We behave differently because God is our Father. We have the family likeness. We pray to our Father. Why shouldn't we worry about material things? Because our Father will provide. Adoption is not reward for holy living. It's not God saying, you get to a certain standard and then you're in. It's God saying, you're in. Now, live as if you were in. Adoption is not a reward for holy living. God accepts wrongdoers. God accepts failures. God accepts rebels and sinners. And how is it that we have managed in the perversity of human thinking for us to turn that message and invert it so that although not explicitly but implicitly we say to people, you're not good enough to come to church. Well, you're not and neither am I. None of us unless Christ calls us and invites us, and he does. We end each day with our lives stained by sin. You know what it's like. You've got a house that's full of people, and the only person who's ever got a spotless house is the person who has nobody in it ever. You know, you hoover the carpet, And two hours later, you need to hoover it all over again. Why? Because people have been enjoying themselves because, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. In our lives, you and I may have periods when we're thinking, oh, got rid of that problem, got rid of that sin. I'm feeling so much closer to God. And at the end of the day, it seems as though we're back where we were, if not worse. Uh Uh-huh. That's the way we are. That's the way that God knows us to be. And yet he accepts us. He doesn't turn his back on us. He always welcomes us. How is that possible? Because of what we've read here about Christ. It is done in Christ. It is done in the beloved. It is what Christ has done that makes that all possible. I love uh, the name Grace, Grace Grace Church. It beats St. Peter's. Uh, You can't shorten it to in any way at all either, St. Pete's, you know, but grace, what a a great name. You heard the word because of God's grace. It's in love that he predestined us. Martin Luther says God's love has no why. Well, we respond to this, I think, in several ways. First of all, I think those of us who are not Christians might respond by simply saying, well, am I? How do I know if God's chosen me? Well, the answer is fairly straightforward. You're here, and God has brought you to hear his word, and God is calling you, and he invites you to respond. Those of us who are believers, I think how we respond to this is not with a theological analysis and a way of trying to work it all out and square it all in our heads, which you will never be able to do, because man's free will and God's sovereignty are like twin tracks of a railway that go on into eternity, and you try and bring them together, you'll never be able to bring them together. But I tell you this, how we should respond is in absolute amazement and wonder and humility and love. The easiest thing in the world to believe, if you are not a Christian who doesn't care at all about God, is that God loves you. It's easy. Of course he's going to love me. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world to believe as a believer is that God loves me, really loves me. It's cliche. It's easily said spoken about with passion, sung about with fervor, but felt in our own hearts, that's sometimes very, very hard. And yet, the more we look at Scripture, 
the more we realize the love that God has for his people, the more it changes our perspective and causes us to wonder and to praise. I don't know the bad things that have happened to you this year. I don't know the good things that you are rejoicing in. But I know you hold them both up to the light of the love of Christ that he has for you. And both pale into insignificance. John says this, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. What an absolute heartbreak for any parent or pastor or Sunday school teacher to look out and to see their children, their congregation, any member, missing the greatest thing of all, missing being in Christ. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we will recognize that and we will marvel at the wonder of it and we will spend as long as God gives us in the whole of this next year magnifying the grace and glory of God in a world of chaos and disunity and disharmony and hatred and darkness. We have been chosen by a Christ who aims to bring and who will bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the blessings that we have received. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that as they've heard about you, maybe there's a lot we don't understand, but I pray, O oh Lord our God, that not one person would walk out of this building without being drawn to you. I pray, O oh Lord, for those of us who are believers, who are overwhelmed by our own sins or others, who are fearful and angry, bitter, in the dark, confused, whatever things going on in our own minds and hearts, things sometimes that, that we don't even want to look at, I pray that you would help us to look away and to see them all in the light of the love and the beauty and the glory of Christ. Why me? Why us? Lord, only because of your great mercy and grace. Help us to see that and to live it and to rejoice in it all the days of our lives. For we ask it in your name. Amen. I'm going to finish by singing um, the song 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Let's stand and sing this and please remain standing for the benediction. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. 
www.ngbc.org. Thanks for listening.